Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Zach Wheeler rocks and fires 1 1. Swing and a drive, left field and deep. It's got a chance. Gone. Long gone, a line drive home run to left for Nico Horner. Cubs lead one to nothing. Now that was a no doubt home run off the bat of Nico, and Wheeler had thrown him quite a few little tight sliders in that at bat. And now the one-two swing and a miss, and the ball game is over, and the Cubs have beaten the Phillies. Hughes striking out Matt Veerling. Cubs start to celebrate and congratulate one another, and they have made it two in a row here in Philadelphia. And a drive deep left center. Quan will watch it go. A home run. It's 3-0. That's on the ground, and it's going to at least tie it. Here comes Abreu, and the White Sox have the lead. Two two to Quan, lined, caught by Josh Harrison, and the White Sox hang on. And AJ, remember that liner earlier that went in and out of the glove of Harrison, but he made the catch this time. And as a result, the White Sox get a huge win. It's time for Hit and Run, Sundays from 9 a.m. till noon. Good morning, baseball people. Hello, hello, hello. This is not a glorious Sunday morning in Chicago. It is dreary. It is uh, a day that will have cloud coverage most of the day. It's possible the White Sox will be affected by the rain. We will see. The Cubs, meanwhile, in Philly, they play early. We have to talk fast because the Cubs are the Peacock game this morning. Maybe you've noticed if you're a baseball human as you've been listening to me, Matt Spiegel, here on Hit and Run, or sometimes Gabe Ramirez, who has been filling in. We appreciate that from Gabe, Cody Decker a couple of times. Appreciate everybody's help and appreciate your patience as every once in a while it is not me. Um, You've noticed that um, Major League Baseball has games that start on a Sunday morning. One a week, the streaming game, the streaming package on Peacock, the Xfinity slash NBC streaming product, and the Cubs and Phillies will play the third of their three games on uh, that network this morning. And the only local coverage of it is right here on 670 The Score. We're the only place to get it. So um, a lot of people don't have that streaming thing. As, as MLB like tries to figure out how best to promote the game, let's just put it everywhere. Apple TV on a Friday, Peacock on a Sunday. What the hey? You know where it's always? Right here on The Score. So, Zach Zayman will have pregame at 1030. Pat and Rom with your only local coverage of the Red Hot Cubs having won two in a row, having put up 15 runs on Friday night. Last night, it was 1-1 in the ninth, and then you find out later they win it 6-2. You find out later if you're me because... I was singing last night, had a great, great time out at Southside Summerfest, 
down at Marist High School. I want to thank Father Tom Hurley and everybody who put that event on. Um, Tributosaurus had a great, great time out there last night. But goodness, we have a lot of baseball to discuss over the next 90 minutes. The White Sox split a doubleheader. You heard the highlights there from Fox TV. Len Casper on Fox TV along with A.J. Przinsky. And you heard Pat and Ron from 670 The Score giving you some of those Cubs highlights as well. As always on Hit and Run, we want to talk baseball with you. Cesar Perez is here with me today, my executive producer. You, dear caller, dear listener, dear texter, get on in at 312-644-6767. That is the phone number. And uh, that is also how you get in uh, via text. The text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. That score listener line I mentioned at 312-644-6767. Powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. All right. Um, and, and we will also talk about the Hall of Fame ceremonies, which take place today and another example of, of idiotic scheduling on the parts of Major League Baseball drives me absolutely insane. I'll try not to focus on that and focus on the goodness that is the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies today, specifically an absolute legend, Vinny Minoso, going in. We'll talk about that at about 10 o'clock. I have a story you've probably never heard about Minnie Minoso to go along with some of the baseball. So we'll get there at 10 o'clock. Don't you go anywhere. But we start with the team most relevant in terms of playoff aspirations, the team that's supposed to be in the middle of their winning window, and in fact they are, but they haven't played like it. Uh, the White Sox right now, this is what mediocrity looks like. It's a step forward, a step back. A step back, a step forward. They are 18 games into this pivotal 19-game stretch against the American League Central. You know what the record is in the 18 games so far? that we've been talking about and previewing, getting ready for this, they're 9-9. Nine and nine. <laughs> It's kind of perfect. They're 9-9. Nine and nine. They're one game under 500 overall. They remain maddening in some ways that we can, of course, discuss. But we've spent so much time talking about that. It can really wear on you. There are some very good individual signs going on right now. The last eight games for Yohan Moncada, he has 11 hits. He's got five walks. He's hitting the ball very hard. He looks comfortable at the plate from both sides. That's an unbelievably good individual sign. Yesterday, Yasmani Grandal with four hits over the course of the doubleheader and a huge walk in the eighth inning against Brian Shaw in the nightcap last night. That was a big, big deal. That is two outs, a six-pitch walk that he works off Brian Shaw, a good reliever, but a tired reliever. And Grandal is one of the guys who you need desperately to work in at bat like that. So few on this roster can do it. Grandal said he was hyped up Friday when he came back off the injured list, went 0 for 4, but then had three singles yesterday in the game one loss. And then another hit and that big walk in game two. Just calmly work on the hitting stroke, Yaz. You know, I, I appreciate when guys share what the emotions of the situation are. And he said he was too hyped up. Don't worry about the power. Let that come maybe eventually. And even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't, just calmly hit those little singles. Hit some bloops. Make nice contact. And be patient. Get back in control of your at-bats and the effect that that could have on the lineup. Because, look, once he gets going, we know that he can be red hot and the power can get mixed in. Like the final month last year. It was unbelievable, the final month of last season. But he has to get going, and he hasn't gotten going all year. So don't work about the power. That's the funny thing, right? You can't come out and try to do that. Got to regain plate control, and then maybe the power will come. But look, those two guys, if Yohan Moncada and Yasmani Grandal get going, if they have good, patient, strong at-bats like they did yesterday, like Yaz has just yesterday, like Moncada has for the past week plus, that can be transformative. It can change everything about the offense. Other good individual signs. Eloy with the home run yesterday. Josh Harrison overall 
is playing pretty good defense. He did have the ball that went in and out of the glove, like Casper told you in the highlight. But big play there at the end. He's made another nice play in the first game, a, a diving play on a, uh, on, a, on a ground ball. And Harrison making good contact. So there's some decent signs there. Lance Lynn with six scoreless innings yesterday. This is a guy whose ERA in the seven starts in the first half was at 7.50. Yesterday, though, 87 pitches, just gave up three hits in six innings. They all came with two men out, and he did not let those hitters advance once they got on the bases. I, I wanted Lance Lynn for the seventh. But I, I get wanting his day to stop there, leave the good taste in his mouth, etc. But, man, if he starts to show you that again, if he gives you that again, he's one of those few guys who can go further. Can't, I can't really fault Tony seeing what has happened with Lynn on some of those other extended, uh, extended starts. It's just I, I wish this was a more typical Lance Lynn situation a more typical Lance Lynn season then maybe you could see him instead of Jose Ruiz I there's just you know you get down to the bottom of the barrel but here's the thing about the team that they're facing the Cleveland Guardians have a beautiful offensive approach and if you've been watching them all year you've seen it this whole league has been dominated by high fastballs over the past five or seven years, right? Everybody's got a high fastball. Everybody has a breaking pitch that tunnels the same as that high fastball, whether it's a 12 to 6 curveball, it's one of those uh, spike curves or a spike slider that goes straight down, or in Lucas Giolito's case, the changeup. You know, and the high fastballs can dominate people when you try to hit home runs. You don't off a high fastballs. Usually you swing under them with your vaunted launch angle or you uh, you top them uh, if you're trying to get on top. But Cleveland's way of going about it, their contact based approach, they have a big pile of hitters who know what to do with those high fastballs. They're not trying to hit bombs off them. They just try to get on top of them and make good contact, and they do. Stephen Kwan does that. Ahmed Rosario does that. Andres Jimenez does that. Of course, Jose Ramirez does that. And Cleveland did it yesterday. Didn't you watch? You saw that? They did it to Liam Hendricks in the first game, did it to Ronaldo Lopez. They did it to Jose Ruiz. It's what they do. So much respect for them and the manager and the pitching infrastructure. Hell, Shane Bieber going today. Tristan McKenzie yesterday. Connor Pilkington? Are they making something out of Connor Pilkington? Who they got from the Sox for Cesar Hernandez? Uh, I, don't, I don't know about Connor Pilkington, but, well, it worked out yesterday. But you have to, um, you have to counter what Cleveland does by going after them in a different way, which I thought, frankly, Matt Foster did yesterday in the ninth inning when he came in. But here you are. So what do you want to focus on? What can you focus on, you the White Sox fan? The overall mediocrity and some of the uh, maddening sloppiness that was still there yesterday? The 9-9 nine and nine White Sox, 18 games into the 19-game stretch? <clears throat> or do you want to focus on the good individual signs like Yoan and Grandal and Lance Lynn yesterday? Let's talk about it. The phone lines are wide open at 312-644-6767. Look forward to talking with you, the baseball fan, every Sunday morning. That's for sure. So hop on in and uh, tell me about where your mindset is, White Sox fans, right now. One game under 500, four games back in the Central, four games back for the third and final wild card with three different teams in front of you. Uh, between the White Sox and that third and final wild card. The trade deadline is approaching. Rick Hahn addressed it on Friday and talked about getting bullpen help. We learned on Friday that Aaron Bummer is still a good three weeks away from even getting onto the mound. So that's scary. So they definitely need some bullpen help. It'll probably be a lefty. Do you trust Tanner Banks, Bennett Sousa, guys like this? These are your lefties. Or do you have some righties that you trust with the the um, the the opposite splits. <sighs> Difficult times 
to make those decisions. You know, I'm looking at an article here from MLB.com, eight teams with tough decisions to make in terms of whether they are buyers or whether they are sellers as the deadline approaches. And we'll have one more weekend to discuss this next weekend as the trade deadline is not until the 2nd of August. And of the eight teams that are described as teams with tough decisions to make, you've got the Giants there, the Red Sox there, the Guardians there, the Orioles there, and of course, the White Sox there. Here's the write-up on MLB.com about where the White Sox stand from Mark Feinsand. The White Sox have been the picture of mediocrity for most of the season. That's what I just said, right? This is what mediocrity looks like. They've never been lower than five games below 500, never more than four games over 500. Rotation ranks ninth in the American League in ERA. That ain't good. But if Lynn is going to pitch like that, we know what Dylan Cease is, as Cease and Bieber is your finale today if they get the game in. The bullpen ranks 10th in the American League in ERA. The American League offense, it is 9th in the American League in OPS, 11th in home runs. This has not been good. They're just where they are, four games out of first. The farm system does not have a single White Sox prospect in the MLB Top 100. So I don't know how much they're going to be able to change this roster, but they will try and add. Ah, yes. So it's a tricky, tricky moment. And Rick Hahn talked about that bullpen. We'll talk about where the Cubs are right now as well. And you're welcome to hop in talking about the Cubs. Marcus Stroman looked great last night. He's been very good since coming off the injured list. The K rate is excellent. Everything he throws is down and moving, biting. Looking very good is Marcus Stroman. And then Nico Horner is playing great baseball. Horner with a home run early last night. You heard that highlight. Had a stolen base last night as he was the Manfred man in the 10th inning. Stole third and got that inning going. Been playing elite defense overall. And the Cubs with those 15 runs the other night. Some Christopher Morrell happiness mixed in. Some Wilson Contreras execution amidst all the rumors and the worries of the, uh, of the trade deadline approaching. But we can talk with you, the Cub fan, as well. Um, Philadelphia might be breaking somebody who we know and you remember and who frankly never should have been allowed to leave Chicago. We're going to talk about that when we come back next, and we'll take your phone calls at 312-644-6767. It is Spigs here with you for Hit and Run on a Sunday morning. Let's talk baseball and uh, warm each other up uh, on this summer Sunday. Maybe we can be each other's sunshine because, I mean, it's plenty warm, but the sun is not there. So shine a little light on each other, shall we? And talk some baseball right here on 670 The Score. Hit and Run on Sports Radio 670, The Score, Chicago Sports Station. You're listening to 670, The Score. It is Hit and Run on a Sunday morning. My God, the Blue Jays scored 28 runs. 28 runs the other night. Well, they have 23 by the third. Rymel Tapia with the ridiculous inside the park grand slam. Uh, that was Jaron Duran, the white, uh, the Red Sox center fielder who just threw up his arms in desperation. I've been there, not in center field at Fenway Park with a glove on, mind you, but with that feeling of, okay, now I just have to admit, I have no idea where the ball is. I have no idea where anything is. You know, and maybe I haven't been there in a baseball sense. I sure as hell have been there in a radio sense. That's for sure. Like, I don't know what segment we're doing. I'm unclear on where I should be, who I should be. I, I, what am I? That was just a very funny moment to look at that, too. But that's an MLB player. You're not supposed to lose a ball that completely, that fully, that is, frankly, right over your head. That's not how that's supposed to work. A crazy, crazy uh, first few days here of the second half. Aaron Judge is on pace for 61 home runs. Somebody's going to do it here. Some non 
steroid-era dude is going to get this done. Is it Aaron Judge? It could be. Ridiculous Justin Verlander is throwing 99 miles an hour in the seventh inning. I always have called him the Nolan Ryan of his generation. And now we're approaching that level of ridiculousness when the age and the velocity just don't seem to match. Some people just have that arm. Some people's ligaments are just ridiculous. But his is, it's rebuilt. It's rebuilt. And it's still like that. He's a, what did Joe Kelly tell me and Parkins that I'm a rotational athlete. So when Joe Kelly goes out there and plays golf, he drives it like 300 yards because he's, he's just a rotational athlete, a world-class rotational athlete. And Verlander is every bit of that. That is for sure. Always think of him as one that got away from the Cubs after that uh, season in which they traded Eloy and Dylan Cease for Jose Quintana. Then Verlander figures it out later in the year. In Detroit, ends up going to Houston for much less, by the way, and goes to Houston and is transformed there. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And who knows what uh, could have happened. I mentioned that uh, another old friend that never should have been allowed to leave Chicago. We'll get to that later on as um, his career, his moment, his season, really, at least, is, seems to be imploding in another town. But we take your phone calls at 312-644-6767. It is Speaks here with you all morning long, just until 1030. It's a, it's a short day here on Hit and Run. And we're talking to you, the White Sox fan, and to you, the Cubs fan. Um, White Sox maddening and mediocre, but also showing some good individual signs of life. Let's talk to Kendall in Naperville on the score. Hello, Kendall. What's going on? Good morning. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm wonderful. Um, Thank you. I want to know why Jose Abreu is the only guy we got who insists on playing every day. And it's <laughs> awesome because Jose's a leader. He's a great player. I love him. The way his defense has approved since he was younger is, a, is just phenomenal. He's a hard worker. But if I'm Jose, I go up to Tim Anderson and I say, you're playing in both of these games because these are important divisional games for us. Cleveland's two games ahead of us. We need you. And if Jose's not willing to do that, if I'm Tim Anderson, I go up to Tony and I say, Skip, I'm playing both games. Don't even try and sit me. That doesn't happen. And look for today, Sunday following a doubleheader, Moncada's been on fire. Watch. We're going to have Harrison in third and Lurie at second. Mark my words. That's oh, going to happen. And God. it's maddening. Kendall, that, that's Wait for the, it. It's happening. Oh, it better not. It's happening. It, it, it better not. <laughs> it's going to. It's, uh, winning, time is, winning time is now. Thank you, sir. Thanks for the call, man. Winning time is right the hell now. There is no reason to uh, not be pushing these guys. Now, I don't know. I mean, it was a really weird response from Tony about why T.A. needed to sit. He basically said, I've just I've seen it before with all my time and all my all stars. I I, I would like to think that Tim could say to Tony, no, man, I'm good. I want to play. I want to play. And so I, I can't speak to the personal dynamic that goes on there. But Tony is Tony. We have seen that. We, we have seen what his M.O. is as a manager. And he is outdated on a lot of things. This, though, this, like, this rest and uh, load management, if you want to take the NBA approach, everybody does it. Lots and lots of managers around baseball uh, do it. I love that Abreu wants to play. I, I would have embraced the idea that Tim wants to play. And the one, the one that, that drives you crazy is Liori, obviously, because anytime personal stuff gets in there, anytime sort of personal vendettas or like a desire to prove a point, and... It, 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 any, anytime that happens, it's just, man, just make the right choice for the ball club. Just make the right choice. But you hear all the quotes and have heard it all year long. Tony, uh, very, very much convinced that Leori is going to show you. You watch his at-bats. You watch his at-bats. He'll show you. <sighs> 
can I put specifically on Tony the sloppiness of that fourth inning yesterday? No. Can I put the culture uh, that surrounds the White Sox, a culture that is not based on getting better within the margins and outside the margins, getting better via coaching, prioritizing defense, demanding fundamentals, holding people accountable. Can I put that culture to task for what happened in the fourth inning? Sure. Because we've seen it time and time and time and time again. Gavin Sheets makes a nice attempt on a throw all the way to the plate on uh, Ahmed Rosario's two-run single, but Sebi Zavala tries a snap tag, misses the ball. Cueto misses the ball in his backup spot, and then Cueto grabs it and throws it way wide of third into the outfield. Uh, So you've got Rosario at third, and he almost scored on that two-run single. Then there's a Jose Ramirez sacrifice fly that accomplishes that run, and it's four runs in that inning against Cueto. Cueto manages to go seven because he's got a rubber arm, and he figures it out. He did not strike out. I don't believe he struck out a single guardian. Did he walk a single guardian? I don't think he, I don't think he did that either. He just he pitched two contact because that's what they're going to do anyway. And he goes seven innings. But that one inning where it blows up a little bit and the defense is bad behind him and leads to that extra run just it it, it bites you in the ass. And it is a it, the White Sox culture is not one of intelligence, of coaching intelligence. Drives me freaking bananas. Because you got to be great in all of those things. All of, the, all of those things. Watch the good teams play. Watch the Astros play. Astros in Seattle right now in a series. Watch the Mets play. Watch them play clean. Hell, watch Cleveland play. They're right in front of you. Are they as talented as the White Sox? Hell no. Absolutely not. Are they better managed? Oh, the best. Is the entire culture of that organization healthier when it comes to baseball and fundamentals? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. Let's go to Mike in Buffalo Grove. Mike, you're on Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, hi. Good morning. Uh, I don't know how the Sox can think they can be even consider being buyers at this point, who are they going to bring in that's going to allow them to, A, change this culture? You can't bring in one, two, or three guys that's going to make them play better baseball or work harder. And there's no way they're going to catch the Yankees or the Astros. So I don't know what they have to sell, but I think that's the only thing they can consider, in my opinion. I don't know what you could get for Pollock, probably not much. Is Abreu, as much as I love him, a guy you send out? Is Vaughn ready to be your everyday first baseman? Maybe you could get something. Uh, But I was at the game yesterday. It's just maddening to watch. I agree with everything you said. And, again, just no free agent's going to change what's going on here. Thanks for taking my call. I'll listen. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's too bad. Mike and Buffalo Grove at the game yesterday and finding it maddening, finding the mediocrity maddening. It's, it's, it's too bad, man. It was supposed to be such a pleasurable year. Such a pleasurable year. Supposed to be a, a moment where you see this, this excellence and see them hungry. And they really just, they, they screwed the pooch terribly. They really did. I'll, I'll do respect to the pooch. Let's go to Bob in Downers Grove. Bob, you're on 670 The Score. How are you? I'm good, Speaks. How you doing? I'm good, man. I, yeah, I don't just um, – overall, I think this team would be much better with a better manager, uh, obviously. But at some point, the individual complacency of the players is, is maddening. I just don't understand it. Like, in the first inning of the Friday game, the first inning, like this is the biggest series of the year, and you let two balls drop in front of you in the outfield? Mm. What are you doing? Like, how can that happen? I, I am diving, breaking – you know, breaking my back trying to get those balls just because that's what it's going to take. And they let two drop in front of them. Next thing you know, it's for nothing. And it's like just like, why wasn't Dylan Cease going Friday? I mean, the complacency and the lack of urgency just makes no sense to me. It just, 
I just don't get it. I, and I guess it's just goes towards, I, I, I say it's the attitude of the manager. Like, if you had A.J. Pruszynski in there firing people up, you can't tell me they wouldn't be a different team. Thanks. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate that, Bob. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, it, it's Somebody's got to get in the faces of these guys, and it has not happened. We had a chance to talk to Liam Hendricks on, um, on Friday, me and Gabe Ramirez, Gabe sitting in for Danny Parkins, and we talked about some of this with Liam. Liam referred to the White Sox as complacent uh, over the All-Star break, and frankly, it was good to hear a player say that. You don't want them to be that, but it was good to hear him say that. And this is Liam telling us that they didn't have the sense of urgency in the first half that they did last year. Uh, it, it's it's a little bit more obvious to me than most, just purely based on the fact that I deal with it almost every spring training, every April, and then have to kind of claw my way back to where I want to be at. And, um, yeah, you can just see it in some, some guys, the way they went about doing things. It wasn't the sense of urgency that we had last year at the start of the year or the sense of urgency that we had towards the very end last year. And that's something that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to define. It's hard to change. But once you get that aha moment, it clicks and you're able to kind of run with it because you put in that little, it's not a lack of effort per se, but it's like you, you stretch that a little bit further. You throw that a little bit harder and subconsciously you just, you're putting more pressure on yourself, which is uh, you want to put the pressure on yourself. You also don't want to put too much on there because that's what we did. In the middle part of it, we came out April and May complacent. June, we put too much pressure on ourselves. In July, I think we had a decent month so far. Asked Liam how he keeps himself from becoming complacent, and he uh, credited his uh, his life partner. Um, yeah, it's a lot less on myself and a lot more on my wife. She is, uh, she, she's able to pick those things. She'll be able to like tell me when I'm getting a little bit too big-headed. She'll be able to tell me when I'm a little bit too down on the ground, and I've actually done better than I think. It's, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's definitely the, the strong arm behind everything that I'm able to do on the field is uh, being with her, and, and she's able to recognize a lot of the things and, and pick me up when I need it. So wondered and asked Liam if a pitcher like him can get in a position player's face. Because that's what's missing. Is that, As the callers are saying, as you are saying, as you are hearing, as you are texting, these guys just kind of not on point and not uh, mentally focused on every little task at hand. Can a pitcher get in a position player's face? It is, but it has to be the right relationship. Like, you can't just go to everybody and say, hey, look, you need to pick it up. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to have that built-up relationship first. It's a lot. There's a lot more backstory that has to go into it before a pitcher can do that to a position player. And certain position players, you need the right guy to be able to do that to. There's certain guys in this team you can. There's certain guys you can't. It's just uh, their mindset and the way they take criticism. It's um, yeah. There's some certain guys that I can get on a little bit, and there's some certain guys that I know better than. And you tell the right people, and maybe they have a better opportunity of getting it through to them. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing, especially being a reliever, because you're not in the dugout. You're not around them as much. You're not uh, kind of there in the trenches and that. We're all 360 feet away, which probably gives them a lot more sanity with it, with dealing with me. But <laughs> it's um, yeah, if you that's more of a starting pitcher thing. That's more of a fellow position player thing that they can uh, they can hop on it. That's Liam Hendricks with us on Friday. And that's before they start. And then you're hoping – that they're going to continue where they left off, which was winning three out of four in Minnesota. But that has not been the case. They lose the first two against Cleveland. They're 9-9, nine and nine, 18 games into the 19-game stretch against the Central that most of us have been saying would, uh, would define the year a little bit. It's defined by mediocrity. One more today, Dylan Cease and Shane Bieber. I don't think there's any way in hell the White Sox are selling. You know, I don't think they're one of these teams that nimbly pivots to selling to try and rebuild themselves on the fly. I don't think there is that kind of institutional organization nor control, frankly, in the front office of what's happening here. The owner thinks they're going for it. The manager thinks they're going for it. They're supposed to be going for it. They're not far out enough to declare something and say again mired in mediocrity and pivot they're not they're close enough to believe that if they beat the hell out of the ball with some power which they have not done that they'll be able to slug their way past some of the inferiorities and win a mediocre division 
there'll be enough people within the org that believe that, that there's no way in hell they will nimbly pivot to sell. If they were to nimbly pivot to selling, and I'm enjoying saying nimbly pivot, you could tell that. That's all right. I'll own that. I'll wear that. As I nimbly pivot back to the topic at hand. Um, I would consider trading Eloy Jimenez. Somebody want him? Probably not because of the long-term contract, even though it does feel very manageable. The, uh, the health and availability has not been there. So you'd think about that. Y- you wouldn't trade Abreu unless he was 100% on board and maybe even if he'd come back. Abreu wants to be a White Sox for life, and I'm sure that the White Sox brass wants Abreu to be a White Sox for life. And by brass, I mean ownership. Remember, Jerry gave him a ring when he hit for the cycle. Um, And the emotional relationship is real, and it is solid. The relievers, the relievers are all signed to multi-year deals. Joe Kelly, Kendall Graveman, Hendricks are signed to multi-year deals at a decent clip. It's not like having something that the Cubs had last year with an expiring contract of uh, Craig Kimbrell, although he then did pick up the option, but still. It is, it is not, uh, not, not very much in a, in a spot are the White Sox to nimbly pivot. That's for sure. 312-644-6767. What will the Cubs do up here at the deadline? And, you know, we talk a lot of potential extension for one Cub. We haven't talked about it for another. And at the top of the hour, a tribute to Minnie Minoso and some stories about Minnie as the Hall of Fame class goes in this afternoon. Keep it right here. It's Matt Spiegel with you on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Hit and Run on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Chicago Sports Station. Contreras drives one in the air. Deep left field. Back is Schwarber. That ball is gone. Line drive. Home run to left for Wilson Contreras. And this ball game is tied one to one. A laser to the seats. It landed in about the second row. Schwarber never moved in left. He knew it was gone. This Cubs team, man, it, it's so interesting. I, I, to me, anyway, why are they pleasant to watch sometimes, even when you know they are overall bad? The offense is pleasant to watch. I, it, it's an interesting phenomenon. It's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Like, I know this is, uh, this is a team that they're in the bottom third in terms of offense, in terms of runs scored. Pitching-wise, their overall staff ERA is like 25th, I think. Sahadev Sharma had these numbers in The Athletic the other day, and we talked to Sahadev on Friday on Parkins and Spiegel. Uh, they, make a lot of, they make a lot of errors. They're like second or third in errors in MLB. And yet I find them to be a pleasant watch. Am I a rube? Am I, I know I'm not alone here. There, there's some things. I mean, it'll get more unpleasant once Wilson Contreras is traded. But he's phenomenal offensively right now. Just, just phenomenal. And there he was with the home run on Friday. Christopher Morrell is a beautiful base runner. His ebullience and his attitude, his happiness and his energy is infectious. And you saw it on display on Friday night with some base running. Last night as well with some base running in the 10th. Um, even like th- there's a moment yesterday when the game was tied. Was it Real Muto with the single? Um, whoever tied it up for the Phillies. But Ethan Happ, um, Ethan Happ, Ian Happ out there and <laughs> left makes uh, grabs the, the single on one bounce and with a quick pivot gets it back into the second. It's just like... <sighs> Dare I say it, they're well-managed. I think they are well-managed. They're not very talented, but I do think they are well-managed, and I do think they play as if they give a crap, and that is satisfying. Say a Suzuki with a homer the other night as part of the 15-run barrage. Hell, you go 15-2. to two. You go 15-2, to two, then most things are, uh, are, are looking up for you at that point. But... Nico Horner showing you all of the skills that are possible, everything that he can do. It was all on display there last night with the homer and the steal and, 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 uh, and the defense as well. I find them oddly enjoyable to watch. 
maybe it's because the White Sox are a death march to watch. Just so deeply unpleasant, maddening. And the mediocrity and the lack of improvement and the lack of accountability for a team that should be good, right? So, look, I'm watching these two teams very, very closely. It reminds me of a call I took from a guy in Milwaukee who watches all three, watches the Brewers, watches the Cubs, watches the White Sox. This is, what, six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, and it didn't run. So it's a while back already, but he found the Cubs to be the most pleasant to watch of all three. Here's a text. Um, speaks, they're pleasant because they're scrappy. And there's no expectations. I think that's true. Here's another. They're pleasant because they aren't, they aren't a selfish team. They actually play the game hard. And they play it the way it's supposed to be played. If Jed would have put a big-time run producer in the middle of the lineup, it could have made a big difference. So here's another one. I totally agree. The Cubs are better and more pleasant to watch than their record indicates. They're in most games. They're competitive. They're battling. They're just a little shorthanded, but I see a lot of talent there. I, I don't know how much talent is there, but I do know that I like the style of play. I like it. It's interesting. And I really do believe if David Ross can survive this particular moment, um, <laughs> if he can survive this particular moment and not get himself thrown out of every game and just kind of withstand how overmatched he is and they can go out and spend and get that big old run producer at a premium position right there into the middle of this lineup for next year, then, you know, who knows? The possibilities could be different, could absolutely be different. 670, the score is where you are. Matt Spiegel is who you're with here on Hit and Run. Um, Ian Happ is in a moment where uh, a contract extension conversation should be taking place. It's not going to take place. At what point do you consider thinking about such things for Nico Horner? It's very early. We know that in the man's career. But they waited so long with their guys that they didn't get any of them signed in terms of Rizzo and the second time around anyway, in terms of Rizzo, in terms of Bryant, in terms obviously of, of, of Baez and here in terms of Contreras and Hap, they've waited this long and they've got this final arbitration season. Then next year, the last one of salary control, Nico Horner, who they brought up very early after his first round draft pick, they've got a couple more years of control, so they don't have to do anything. And history tells us that they probably won't. But that, that is a dude who's going to be here for a little while, clearly. And he's steamrolling towards like a leadership position on this team. We'll have to check out whether he is vocal in that way, whether he's willing in that way. I don't know. Um, but goodness, his, the way that he plays, the way that he goes about it, the seriousness with which he takes the process is excellent and is something worth, um, worth investing in. That's for sure. Textures getting in on the conversation about the pleasantness and the way that the Cubs play. It starts with the manager starts with, the manager. See, here's the thing, and this is the subtext of all those conversations around the White Sox. If there are not players to get in people's faces and to keep them in good moods but accountable just the same, if players aren't there, then it has to be the manager. And we know it's just not happening at all on the south side. On the north side, it definitely is the manager. That's, that's what he is. That's what he is as a guy. It's what he was as a player, and it's clearly what he is as a manager. It's just... It's an interesting phenomenon when the absolute worst baseball team in town is easily the most pleasant one to watch. Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies spoke with Megan Montemuro of the Tribune. It's a good angle to talk about. And she was smart to uh, track down Kyle yesterday and talk about 
what Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ are possibly faced with in terms of being launched from the Cubs at this deadline or at the next. And Schwarber says that, uh, quote, I remember when I was with the Cubs, people come in and say, you know, it's not better on the other side. For me, don't get me wrong. It's an unbelievable orientation into baseball to be with the Cubs. I love all the people who were there. But there's still a lot of really good baseball organizations out there that do things right and care about the players just like the Cubs do. It's not the end of the world if they don't get an extension. There's still good things out there on the other side. That's Kyle Schwarber, <sighs> who drives me crazy that he's not here. You know, it drives me crazy that Nick Castellanos is not here as well, but so it goes. I mean, Castellanos is a guy who should not have been allowed to leave. Remember when he got here? Castellanos and he just exploded offensively was unbelievably great double after double after double got emotional with our own Lawrence Holmes at a live broadcast talking about how much he was enjoying playing at Wrigley he clicked right away here should have spent the last four seasons here right now though Nick Castellanos is breaking I know I've mentioned it a couple of times we'll get to that sound before we get out of here, it's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Hall of Famers today, including an absolute Chicago legend who will be given his proper respect in multiple ways. We'll do that next. And we're out of here at about 1025 or so for Cubs pregame. Cubs Phillies coming up right here on 670 The Score. Hit and Run on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Chicago Sports Station. Good morning, everybody. Matt Spiegler with you on Hit and Run. The Cubs and the Phillies will get going in about an hour. The game is on Peacock only. That's the streaming service from Xfinity and NBC. If you are looking for them locally, you can't find them on TV. You can find them right here with Pat and Ron, though. Uh, Zach Zabin will be in about 1030 with your pregame. And then Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer live from Philadelphia for the finale there. Drew Smiley pitching for the Cubs. He was pretty good his last time out before the break last Saturday in one of the doubleheader games um, that I was in the booth for. I did. Uh, did you guys know I was in the booth for a couple of games? Did, did you guys hear about that? Oh, you did? Okay. All right. Good. Uh, but anyway, Drew Smiley was pretty good and throwing the ball very hard, like 95 maybe 96, went four and a third through 83 pitches, a remarkable number of pitches for obvious reasons. And maybe Drew Smiley is a guy that can have another good start or two, and maybe they can get a little something for at the deadline. That was the idea with several different starting pitchers signed. Wade Miley, it's not going to happen with. Maybe it can happen with Drew Smiley. He goes against a young lefty for the Phillies, Bailey Falter. You know, I referenced this a couple of times. Um, Cesar Perez with us here on the board and producing Hit and Run. So Nick Castellanos, the former Cub, who in Philly is having an absolutely brutal season. It's a tough, tough moment for Castellanos. They've got hurt players in Gene Segura and Bryce Harper. They need Nick Castellanos desperately. He's hitting 245, only has eight homers. Last year, his final year in Cincinnati, he hit 309 with 34 home runs and 100 RBIs. This guy has been an offensive stud for all of the Cincy years. The partial season with Chicago, a couple of those years in Detroit. And he's just an absolute bust so far for Philly, having signed a five-year, $100 million deal. And they're leaving him in the three-hole right now because <sighs> Rob Shaver it, 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 it doesn't, doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know. I mean, what would you do? He's got no Seguri. He's got no Harper. Needs Castellanos desperately. This is a stud, a veteran stud. But he's struggling mightily. Had a big strikeout yesterday in the eighth inning. And after the game, this from the media, from the clubhouse, assembled media talking to Nick Castellanos. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting because he's asked about whether he heard the boos in the eighth inning. Did you uh, hear the boos there when you struck out in the, right in the game there? 
No, man, I lost my hearing. <laughs> so you didn't hear it. Come on, man, that's a stupid question. Why is it a stupid question? Can anybody else answer that for him? Anybody? Yeah, man, that's a stupid question. It's not a stupid question. If it's a stupid question, you should be equipped to answer all right, it. All right, I did all answer right, it. All right, all right. The answer we should got be able to handle it. We got the answer. That doesn't mean that I can't say that it's a stupid question. It wasn't a stupid question. It's a legit question. If I heard the booze, is, 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 that's a rhetorical question. Of course it's a stupid question. Did you hear the booze? That's a stupid question. We got the answer. We're good. Thanks, guys. We're then close. you should be able to handle a stupid question. I did. I did. I did handle a stupid question. Did you hear the booze? Yes, yes, I did. You have to answer that, Nick. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It sucks. Maybe that guy's a jag. I don't know who it is. You guys, are like, it's 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 not it's not a stupid question. But uh, Castellanos, I just having a bad moment. It's not that big a deal. I just I'm worried that Philadelphia is breaking him. Philly's a tough town. Philly is a tough town, and Nick Castellanos is a thoughtful and sensitive guy who puts a lot of pressure on himself. And right now, with that whole town putting the pressure on and the first year of a big deal putting the pressure on, it is not going well. It's not a stupid question. I suspect you'll be hearing parts of that on the Parkinson Spiegel Show. During our, as Dustin Rhodes calls it, I just want to ask you one question segment that we do at the end of every show. It's hit and run talking baseball this morning, as we always do on Sunday mornings here on 670, the score today is the hall of fame induction ceremony for eight different people. It's in Cooperstown. Can you believe I've never been to Cooperstown for a hall of fame induction ceremony? I got to get there. I've been to Cooperstown a couple of times to go to the hall, but I've never been there for the induction ceremony. Maybe it's because it's always in the middle of, you know, baseball season. When I'm working. When we're all working. When we got stuff to do. When the baseball community is busy. They just, they can't figure it out. They can't figure out when to do it. I, I, I don't like that today at 1.30 on a Sunday, going against like 9, 12, 14 different baseball games. Oh, maybe the Cubs will be done by then. But going against 14 different baseball games in the regular season will be the induction ceremony for MLB's Hall of Fame. We don't get to focus on these guys. Focus on this moment. Focus on those speeches. Focus on the event itself. This should be a primetime event, in my opinion. It should either be tonight, Sunday night, with no Sunday night baseball opposite, or it should have been last Sunday night, the Sunday before the All-Star game, with, again, no Sunday night baseball opposite it. That's the way it should be. But anyway, it is today. 52 previously inducted Hall of Fame members will be there. Spanning multiple generations. All going to be there to celebrate the class of 2022. The most veteran Hall of Famer, the old guard Hall of Famer. Take this as a sign of aging, if you will. Sandy Koufax is the oldest living Hall of Famer who is expected to be there, class of 1972. So in this class today, David Ortiz is the headliner. That's full of controversy because of the purported failed test that New York Times released, as you know. But the numbers and accomplishments of Ortiz make him an absolute no-brainer. He's one of four players to hit 500 home runs and win three World Series in his career. It's him, it's Babe Ruth, it's Reggie Jackson, it's Mickey Mantle. End of list. Then there are others, Tony Oliva and Jim Cott, both of the Minnesota Twins. Gil Hodges is going in. Buck O'Neill is going in. Bud Fowler is going in by uh, virtue of the Veterans Committee, whatever they're calling that now these days. It's been like three or four or five different things over the past 15 years, the process by which they get some veterans in. Tim Kirkjian is going in as a media member. That's well-deserved. He's incredible and does wonderful work. And his passion has mattered for a long time. And, of course, Minnie Minoso is going in. Let's talk about Minnie Minoso a little bit. This is a song by Los Van Van, a legendary Cuban post-revolution band. And I wanted to share this story about Minnie. We'll talk about Minnie as a player, and we'll play something wonderful for you that Chris Tannehill did last year, but I wanted to tell you this story as a sense of 
how important Minnie Minoso is to Cubans, okay? This is from my dear friend Ray Quinn, hardcore longtime White Sox fan, the owner-proprietor musical impresario at Martyrs up at 3855 North Lincoln. He told me this story that in Saturday uh, or in January of 1997, a very cold day, this band, Los Van Van, was coming to play in Chicago. This is a legendary Cuban post-revolution band, Fidel Castro's personal favorite band. The band leader, a guy named Juan Formel, was a friend of Fidel Castro's. This show was massive. It was a big deal. Marguerite Horberg, who owned and booked bands in a little place called The Hot House, was able to get Los Van Van to come. And this band was too big for The Hot House, too big for Martyrs. It should have been at, like, the Aragon, you know? Um, someplace enormous. So... They're playing at Martyrs, which holds between like 300 and 400 people. Juan Formel is the band leader's Fidel Castro's buddy. And Formel's brother arrived in the afternoon. They hadn't seen each other since 1958 as they were on different sides of the revolution. So it's an emotional day for Juan Formel. Martyrs sold out two shows that night, but still... Cubans from all over Chicago and all over the Midwest came and they lined up outside. It was freezing, sub-zero temperatures. There was still a line two blocks long to get in to see Los Van Van. And Ray Quinn tells it like this. He walked outside to let everybody know there was no chance of getting in, that the shows were sold out, people had to go someplace else to try and stay warm. And Ray saw Minnie Minoso waiting in line. Ray, a big White Sox fan, knew that was Minnie Minoso. He said, Minnie! You come with me. So Ray brings Minnie Minoso into the club. They go up the front stairs there at Martyrs, and they go towards the green room. There was about 30 Cubans talking to each other, getting ready, this big band getting ready to play the gig, and he heard the roar of them all talking. He opens the door and told Minnie Minoso to go in the room. And as soon as Minnie Minoso walked into the room, all of these Cuban musicians and their friends and their family fell completely silent. Just totally silent. People got down on their knees. Half of them started to cry. They were speechless just to be in the presence of Minnie Minoso. Minnie walked in, flashed a big smile. Juan Formel, the band leader, and his brother came over. They hugged Minnie. And Minnie hung out in the dressing room with the band for about an hour before the show. But... Think about that. Think about these 30 musicians and their family, these famous musicians, falling silent, dropping to their knees, crying in the presence of Minnie Minoso. This is the importance to the Cuban community and just part of the reason that Minnie Minoso deserves very much to be in the Hall of Fame. Want you to hear this, a montage that our Chris Tannehill, the senior audio producer here at 670 The Score, put together for Minnie Minoso after the announcement that Minnie would finally get into the Hall of Fame from last year. For the American League, Minnie Minoso will lead off. Minnie quit to go in the go-go white Sox. One of our own franchise legends. He played professional baseball in seven different decades and remains among franchise leaders in a number of statistical categories. Minnie Minoso looking for his first hit, a runner at first base, two out. That is the line single to left. His uniform number nine was retired by the organization, and a statue of his likeness is forever immortalized in center field. Minnie Minoso, the honorary captain of the ball club this afternoon. Minnie Minoso has just been a great part of the Chicago White Sox organization, and deservingly so. He is the honorary captain for the final game ever at Comiskey Park, where he played so well for so many years for the Sox. 60 years ago, he was the first to break the team's color barrier, and in dramatic fashion, he had a home run in his very first White Sox at bat. Then he was the, the, the trailblazer. He was the guy that opened the door for all the Latins that, you know, that came behind him. You know, Minnie was over Jackie Robinson. He was over Jackie Robinson. Those numbers were great on the field. He was a greater ambassador of the game off the field. He could have a better ball player, better hitter, more intelligent, better on. 
Better feeling, better anything. But the horses, they give it 100%, no one. Manny Mignoso, to me, is a Hall of Fame. A career 299 lifetime hitter, he spent the majority of his career in Chicago, leading the AL in triples and stolen bases three times each. Sox fans, please welcome to the mound the Cuban comic, Minnie Minoso. Orestes Mini Minoso now joins baseball's Hall of Fame legends in Cooperstown. That's got to bring tears to the eyes of some old-timers, if not Minoso himself. I give him my life to the game. And I think that again, give me everything I am. So Minnie Minoso's career numbers now with the addition of the Negro League stats because they are now officially part of BaseballReference.com, the old baseball encyclopedia. Do they still make the baseball encyclopedia? Man, I loved that thing. That was the best. It was the biggest and heaviest, most ridiculous book in my house growing up. My father, of course, had the baseball encyclopedia. There's no need for such things anymore with our dear friend, the Internet. But anyway, if there is a new baseball encyclopedia that is made, it would include Minnie Minoso's Negro League numbers as part of his official stats. 2,110 hits, 1,946 games played, 195 home runs, 216 stolen bases, and a career batting average of 299. There are only six other players in the history of baseball who have reached those milestones, and every single one of them is in the Hall of Fame. Now that you look at the career in full with those stats in, it is not merely the cultural importance. It is not merely the short-term excellence in his MLB career between 51 and 61 of his heyday. It is the totality of his career that you can look at and say, as a compiler of statistics, absolutely deserving of the Hall of Fame. And Minoso, in that decade, 51 to 61, he ranked either first or second in almost all offensive categories in the American League. Him and Mickey Mantle, they were the two best players in the American League. In the 50s. In that decade, the most wins above replacement, let's go by war, the catch-all stat, which accumulates everything that you play in every facet of the game and does the best job of approximating value of anything that's out there. Mickey Mantle, 90.7 wins above replacement between 51 and 61. Minnie Minoso second with 54.6 wins above replacement after him in that decade in the American league, Yogi Berra, Ted Williams, Al Kaline, Nellie Fox. That's a list of six, five of them are in the hall of fame. And the sixth one goes in today. Items for his display case are going to include some personal jewelry. His widow Sharon decided to send some personal items out there to be part of his display case, jewelry that he wore every day, a gold bracelet emblazoned with Minoso, which she says uh, dates from the 50s and is extremely valuable, is going to be part of it. I, I love that because what we in this town knew, and um, you've heard people talk about it and tell stories about running into Minnie, who would drive around with the vanity plates and with pictures ready to sign them in the trunk of the car, and the gold bracelet with his name on it. That a big part of his identity in this town for a long, long time. So I kind of love that some of the jewelry will go there as part of the display case. I really wish these ceremonies today were, uh, were, were not against baseball. I will do my best to watch speeches tonight and catch up. And maybe someday MLB will get that part right. Maybe someday. Texter's getting in at 312-644-6767. Folks uh, enjoyed that story about Minnie, and I'm glad that they did. Um, I, I, that, that's my stuff. That's my joy when those worlds collide, obviously, when the music and the baseball collide. Any of you guys out there listening at Wrigley last night for Chris Stapleton and Mavis Staples and the High Women and Mike Campbell of Tom Petty's band? Being out there, I wish I could have stayed. I was there working on something during the day. 
Always a thrill to be at Wrigley when the music is involved. But then I myself had a gig last night, so could not stay. Heard very good things about the show. I know that um, Shane Reardon was out there, saw pictures that he posted on the socials. So I'm sure we'll talk to him a little bit about that tomorrow as we catch up on the weekend. It'll be Parkins and Spiegel all week long on 670 The Score, of course, from 2 to 6. You know, I, I loved running into some hit-and-run listeners at the Score's 30th anniversary party on Wednesday at Real Time Sports out there in Elk Grove Village. You know who you are. Johnny Mack, Crazy Dave, some of you folks, Peoria Matt, people who are with me on a Sunday morning and not just during the week as well. Uh, you matter greatly. I really, I, I really value this opportunity on a Sunday morning to talk baseball in a town like this. With the history, of course, and with the constancy of these two teams playing every day, the companion nature of baseball, part of our lives every single day. It'll be Dylan Cease and Shane Bieber in the finale of the White Sox and the Guardians series a little bit later on. Dylan Cease, one of the biggest all-star snubs I can imagine from recent years just unbelievable how great his first half was and how he should have been there but so it goes here he is today with a chance to make that series a split earn a split and have the White Sox go 10 and 9 in this 19 game stretch elsewhere around the game lots going on of course everybody playing tonight the Sunday night game will be Joe Musgrove and Carlos Carrasco. Good matchup as Carrasco has been much better than his numbers indicate over the last two and a half years. Padres and Mets is your Sunday night game. Clayton Kershaw goes for the Dodgers today against the Giants and Alex Cobb in a late afternoon game. And count me interested for Astros and Mariners, Robbie Ray getting the start for Seattle against Framber Valdez. No guests today, none needed. I talked with you and enjoyed it greatly. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of things. Thanks, thanks to Cesar Perez for doing such a great job producing the show this morning. Adam Studzinski will be on the board along with Zach Zaidman on the microphone for Cubs pregame in a matter of moments. Cubs and Phillies coming up right here on 670 The Score. Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody. I'll be back with you tomorrow at 2 for Parkinson Spiegel on The Score. Have a great day. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device. Credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.